listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. Well, today we are going to continue our mini-series, as it were, on forgiveness. So if you were here two weeks ago, we saw the transforming power of forgiveness, how Jesus offered forgiveness to both a Pharisee and a bad sinner like all of us. Last week, we looked specifically at God's forgiveness of us, and maybe more specifically, what does he do with our sin when it comes to forgiveness and our guilt? We saw 10 beautiful pictures that help us to describe what forgiveness is and what God has done with our sins. Today, we are going to take our focus and look at what God says about forgiving other people. At the outset, I want to acknowledge the sensitivity of this topic. This is difficult because hurt is real. And it could be that you have been hurt by somebody. You may have been harmed by someone close to you. And so you may struggle with forgiveness. And that's okay. It's okay to struggle with forgiveness. Or it could be that uh, it's it's the consistency with which someone harms you or hurts you or wrongs you. And it's become the proverbial water dripping in the bucket. Forgiving over and over and over and over. And so I want to acknowledge that this this is not going to be easy. It's not easy for you. It's not going to be easy for me. And all of us are in this together, okay? We are going to need the grace of God as we examine the topic. But then we're really going to need his grace to obey and to do this. So, just like we just sang, would you pray with me? Oh God, I need you. Let's pray that right now. Father, as we discuss forgiveness today, we are going to need your grace. We're going to need that transforming work of forgiveness that you've done in our own hearts. Would you help us as we wrestle with this, that we would think correctly about it, we would feel correctly about it, or that we would ultimately obey with joy and thanksgiving. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Colossians chapter 3, we will not read again that whole portion, but I wanted to place it in context. Because the last thing I want uh, you to do today is to leave and say something like, I just got to forgive. I just got to forgive. I just got to forgive. It's not the goal. It's not how I want you leaving. Instead, I'd like you to leave saying, I am loved by God. And God is transforming me by his grace. And I want to extend his grace to others. So, 
Forgiving others, the heart of Christian unity. Let's read our passage here. We'll start in verse 12, and we'll just read the first two verses for now, 12 and 13. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. All right, here we go. Forgiveness, first of all, comes from a heart adorned by Jesus Christ. Forgiveness comes from a heart that is adorned by Jesus Christ. Notice he says, put on then, verse 12. Put on, this idea of, of getting dressed. All right, so these are virtues or qualities or characteristics that you and I should be putting on on a regular basis. And there's five of them. And these are probably juxtaposed against the five vices mentioned earlier in the text that we read. Okay? So we, are, we have put on the new self. We are recreated in righteousness and holiness. We, have, we, are in, in Ad, or we are no longer in Adam. We are now in Christ. So we are a new creation. And new creations don this type of apparel. This is what adorns a believer. And there's five virtues here mentioned. Let's look at these. The first one mentioned is compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. This is heartfelt mercy or tender heartedness. As Ephesians says, be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Compassionate hearts. Compassion is really where forgiveness can flow from. If you're wondering, where, where do I get, the, where do I get the, even the desire to forgive this person? It, it comes from compassion. This, worry, this word carries the idea of intense feelings, all right? Uh, in some versions, you might have bowels of mercy written there, okay? This idea of, of you feel it in your gut, okay? You actually see the individual as one needing mercy. And you see yourself as one needing mercy. This was actually the problem with Simon the Pharisee in our story two weeks ago. You see someone who is in desperate need of forgiveness and yet you don't have any sympathy or empathy with them. You actually consider yourself distant from them, not needing mercy yourself. And so you're unable to have compassion on someone because you do not recognize and identify with their plight. You find yourself not in the position of desiring mercy for someone, but rather justice, and in particular, judgment. The opposite of compassionate hearts would be a heart of vengeance. A heart of vengeance. Paul says in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, 
says the Lord. And I, I want to suggest something, that if you're struggling with forgiveness, you need to memorize that verse. You need to memorize that verse. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Because what that verse will do is, one, it's a promise. And you can bank on it. Okay, Lord, you are the one who is the avenger. But two, you realize the desperate condition of the one who's wronged you as being under the wrath of Almighty God. It's compassion, not pity, per se. Pity, when you pity someone, you tend to have a little bit of a distant view towards them and even a slight superior feel to it. Oh, I pity you. It's not pity, it's actually compassion. It's this deep felt mercy that you long for someone. So where does forgiveness come from? Where does this heart of forgiveness come from? It comes from being adorned by Jesus Christ. And the first virtue mentioned here is a compassionate heart. You remember as Jesus is going about his ministry and he sees the crowds, what, what does the Bible say is his response? He is moved with compassion, knowing that they're sheep just wandering with no shepherd. Compassionate hearts. Number two, kindness. So we're supposed to add, or we're supposed to put on compassionate hearts. Next it says kindness. This is in general goodness towards others. When unkindness happens, the natural reaction is to withhold kindness from that person. It's very natural. You hurt me, therefore I'm shutting off the kindness valve. I just tighten it up and you don't get any anymore, okay? That's not the way of someone who's been transformed by the mercy of God. They're actually, their disposition is to do good towards other people. This idea of kindness. It is supernatural enablement that allows you to, as again Paul said in Romans 12, to overcome evil with good. Forgiveness flows from a heart that is focused on doing good towards the offender. It actually has their good in mind. We saw this with God's forgiveness of us, didn't we? The removal, the separation of sin from the individual so that he could actually be kind and gracious towards us. It has their good in mind, not just a solution for you. You know what? So often in our relationships, interpersonal relationships, spouse, children, parent, church member, boss, etc. You know what we do so often with forgiveness? It's kind of like, let's just, let's forgive so that I feel better for me. But forgiveness actually isn't about self-focus. It's about kindness towards other people. We'll talk some more about that in a little bit. Third, Humility. Humility is an understanding of who I am in relation to God and others. Usually, conflict arises because someone felt entitled to something. It could, be a sen- it could be that you had a sense of entitlement, and so did they. But then the competitive desires escalated into conflict and hurt. I mean, isn't this James chapter 4, right? 
where do hurts come from? Where do wars come from? They come from your desires within you. And, and now you're, you're, you're competing, and now you're in conflict. Pride actually will cause conflict to continue. By pride comes what? Contention. That's what the proverb says, right? So humility is the opposite of that. Pride wins the argument and injures the other. So naturally, when humbled, what happens to somebody if they respond in a proud way? They retreat into isolation or they regroup to pounce later, right? Okay. All right, you won that round. I'm going to go get, you know, fixed up and I'm going to come back ready to roll this time, okay? This is not the humility that characterized Jesus who when reviled, reviled not again. Humility embraces the sovereignty of God. And I want to talk about this for just a moment because both the one who needs to forgive and the one who needs to receive forgiveness need desperately the sovereignty of God. If we were to flip back to Genesis and look at an amazing story, the story of Joseph. It's an amazing story And it shows an amazing demonstration of forgiveness. But I want you to notice what is at the center of this forgiveness. It's actually the sovereignty of God, both for the forgiver and the ones to receive forgiveness. If you remember the story, Joseph was the victim of horrible family abuse. So much so that his brothers wanted to kill him. Talked down, they decided to settle for selling him into slavery, okay? So they sell their own brother into slavery where there is a series of unfortunate events that continue to befall him. But then, because of of God's faithfulness, Joseph is actually elevated to a place of honor within the whole country. And so the brothers find themselves coming to Joseph to receive food, but they don't know that it's Joseph. Joseph reveals in in Genesis 45 to his brothers, in verse 3, Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Verse 4, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now, and listen to this. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. You hear what he's appealing to? He's going to appeal to God's sovereignty. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph sees the sovereignty of God in the hurt that happened in his life. Joseph desperately needed the sovereignty of God in his life so that he could actually see with the proper lens to see what happened to him was actually the kindness of God. That's hard. 
that's hard to hold on to, but it's desperately needed. Some of you have experienced horrific pain and suffering. And often when we go through difficult relational turmoil, there looms this question of was God really there and was God really in control? And if we are going to offer forgiveness to someone else, we have to have humility of heart and recognize the sovereignty of God in the midst of all of this. It could be that you're actually dealing with the consequences, the fallout, you might say, the natural consequences of choices you made in your past. And you sit there and you, you kind of wallow in self-pity or you go back and you just regret it so, so much. Joseph told his brothers, don't be angry with yourselves. Why not? I mean, come on, Joseph. They sold you into slavery. Don't be angry with yourselves because God is the one that's actually at work. You know what? Whatever difficult situation you might find yourself in right now, still wrestling with the consequences of your own sin or someone else's sin against you, you desperately need humility. You desperately need humility. Back to Colossians. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Meekness, a gentle spirit that does not seek to dominate others. Meekness. Someone has once described it as as power under control. This this idea of of a, a bit in a horse's mouth, right? This powerful horse has a toddler on its back and is walking. It has the ability... It's in, it's in its being to, to, to take off and run and be powerful and buck, and, but it doesn't. A gentle spirit that does not seek to dominate others. It could be that it is within your power to totally obliterate your enemy, the one who has hurt you. You could totally put them in your place. You could punish them severely because you know every desire that they have and how to mute them, how to refuse them. This is not the spirit of meekness. Instead, this is manipulation. This is a power grab. You see, when you forgive someone, you're actually releasing power over them. You're saying, I will not take what I feel like is rightfully mine. Now, this is easier said than done, right? We so have developed habits of response towards other people's hurting us. It's like we just do it, right? I mean, think about it. It starts when they're a baby, okay? And their sibling takes their toy. What do they do? They hit them on the head, right? I mean, it's amazing how they just aim for the the face, even the kid, right? (laughs) Okay? It's this response. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And I have a right to. We kind of chuckle when we see an 18-month-old do that. But the reality is, is husbands and wives do it to each other all the time. You hurt me. 
so I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to make you pay. You owe me. That is not meekness. That is not a spirit of meekness. Rather, it's manipulation and a power grab. The fifth virtue here is patience. So he says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Awkward yet? Patience is waiting a long time. You feel so helpless when you're being patient. You're refusing to take control, to take the power you feel like you should exercise and you're being patient. You can do nothing, only wait and endure. Wow. Patience. But this is not a begrudging type patience. Like, ugh, just got to resign myself to torture while I wait for you to change, which is never going to happen. It's not that. Rather, it's a hopeful patience. It's a hopeful endurance because the gospel can transform a life. It really can. It doesn't happen overnight, no. And it doesn't come without much, much struggle. But the grace of God teaches us and trains us in godliness. So it can transform and it will transform. And the patience that we need in relationship with other people around us is so important. And it's actually divine patience. Bearing along with others. It's interesting. We probably won't get to it, but the last thing on this list as far as virtues is verse 14. Above all these put on love. And 1 Corinthians, when it defines love, it kind of shoots out the gate and says this, love is patient and love is kind. Two of the things we've already discussed here. So, five virtues. Looking at this list, you may notice that the reason you are actually struggling to forgive somebody is because that person didn't do those things, right? Right? They weren't kind. They weren't meek. They weren't patient. They didn't have compassion. They weren't humble. And this is why Paul sets this within a body of believers. He says, all right, all of y'all, you've got to put this on. You've got to do this. Every single believer. None of you are exempt You can't sit on the sideline and say, man, I'm so glad that my husband is going to do all of this. Or I'm so glad that my wife is this type of person so I can just kind of be free to do what I want. Because, man, they're just so forgiving. I love that. They're too lazy to hold a grudge. Okay. 
That is not the attitude of a believer. A believer looks at this list and says, okay, these, this, these characteristics are Jesus. And Paul says, put on Jesus Christ and make no opportunity for the flesh. We need to put on the adornment of Jesus Christ and it will look like these five virtues. So forgiveness comes from a heart adorned by Christ. I want you to see the heart of forgiveness, okay? This really is the heart that, that can forgive. If you don't have this heart, then forgiveness will be not just difficult, it will be impossible, okay? You must have this heart, a heart adorned by Jesus Christ, a heart adorned with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Then I want you to notice this. The unity of the church depends on members actively bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. You see, in verse 12, there's the initial command, put on, all right? And then you see another put on in verse 14 that's actually not there in the text. It's just assumed that, that, that he's coming back and saying, put on this as well, okay? But in, in between those two, you have these two participles that also really are just commands. They're just continuing this command. Put on, do this and this, put on love. What, are, what is this and this? Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. The unity of the church depends on members actively bearing with one another and forgiving one another. What are the actions of forgiveness? What are the actions of forgiveness? First one is bearing with one another. What do you do in forgiveness? This is the idea of putting up with someone. It is so closely tied to patience, which is why Paul has moved to it. Right? You can see it. He goes right from that to that. Put up with people. Within the Christian body, there will be people with whom you will just have to put up with. This is the same term when, when Jesus, referring to the unbelievers and those who are opposed to him, he says, how long must I put up with this wicked and perverse generation? How long do I have to bear with them? It's that idea. But Paul puts it very positively, and he says it positively in Ephesians as well. Okay? Bearing with people. I don't know if you've ever had a leak in your roof, or maybe a few leaks in your roof, and you start hearing and seeing the drip, right? Drip. If it rains, drip. Drip. If it's outside the house, down a window, if it's the, you know, the gutter, it's dripping and, you know, it's clogged and it's just dripping out of that, well, you, you, can, you can put up with those types of drips. But when it's in the kitchen, over the wood floor, drip, drip, drip. You, you don't want to put up with that. You want to deal with it. You want to fix it. I'm not saying, by the way, that forgiveness just means all you do is passively let people hurt you. Okay, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But there is a sense in which you put up with people, and you put up with them for a long time. In a group this size, invariably, guess what? Most of you, a lot of you, wouldn't hang out with each other if given the opportunity. It's like, all right, 
these are my people, but they're not my people in some ways too, you know? I love them, but I don't like them all. <laughs> you know what? We're, we're going to be, there's going to be so many differences. There's going to be so many differences of opinion on different things and, and frustrations and personality points and conflicts. What should we do? Well, we should bear with one another. We should put up with each other. We're going to have to. And we can either do it begrudgingly, <laughs> stinking church members, <laughs> or we can actually do it with joy, joyfully. The opposite of this is being fed up. I mean, how many of you have said something like, I am fed up with fill in the blank, or I have had it up to here, or okay, I am done. This is very similar to the idea of Love covering a multitude of sins. You see, when you're in Christian community with others, whether it be a spouse, children, friend, coworkers, or other church members, there will be constant failures and sins. It will be constant. And this is why Peter asks Jesus on one occasion, okay, Jesus, if my brother, let's just say seven times, comes to me, do I need to forgive him? Now, I think Peter's talking about a family member, just letting you know that, okay? Because who else is going to hurt you seven times in a day? It's got to be a family member, right? It's got to be a kid or a, or a spouse or a parent. Seven times in a day? Yeah. And in Luke, it says this, that if a brother, if somebody comes to you, seven times a day and repents, you forgive him. You forgive him. Wow. This idea of covering a multitude of sins, it's that you could exact justice in your home for every single little transgression or every single annoyance or selfish outburst or something that happens. You could be somebody who's going to exact justice. But I just want to say something, that relationships are not enjoyable because... Justice is exacted for everything. Do you know why relationships are enjoyable? Because mercy covers and love chooses to cover a lot. That's what makes it enjoyable. Otherwise, we turn into keeping record, which love does not keep account of wrongs. And now we're saying, okay, you've messed up 10 times and I've only messed up eight. You're in trouble. <laughs> Bearing with one another. But also forgiving one another. This is where last week's understanding of what God has done with our sins is going to be so helpful for us. We cannot do everything God has done with our sin because we're not God. But there are a lot of things we can do. And so at this point, real quickly, I want to, I want to suggest five things. I want to make sure I do some clarifications here. Five things that forgiveness is not. Okay, and then we'll talk about five things that forgiveness is. So misunderstandings of forgiveness. I hope you can read that. It's a little smaller than I'd hoped, but misunderstandings of forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. If you remember, God says, I will remember their sins no more. And so sometimes we think, man, I just, I need to like not remember these things. I got to forget. Well, God didn't, God doesn't forget things like in the sense of, you know, he knows everything. He's omniscient. The idea is that he chooses to not bring those things to mind against you. 
So forgiveness does not mean forgetting. All right? Some of you have been hurt really deeply by somebody, and every time you see that person, you, it's not like you're just going like, to pretend it didn't happen. You're going to see them, and that pain is going to be there. It's going to hurt. And you might remember it. So when we say forgetting, you know, forgive and forget is a phrase, right? No, no, no. That's not, that's not really biblical, okay? It's forgive and actually choose not to bring their offense to your mind. Okay, we'll talk about that when we talk about what forgiveness is, okay? So forgiveness does not mean forgetting. If you struggle with some abuse that happened to you, and whenever you're around your family for holidays, you really find this turmoil in your soul with wanting to be with them, that's actually okay to wrestle. Now, there's a sinful response to that, but it's okay to, you, you, you don't need to just forget it, okay? Oh, get over it. Move on. That's, that, that's not biblical. Number two, forgiveness does not mean the pain is gone, okay? Some people think that, well, and specifically, if it's the offender, I thought you forgave me. Why is this such a sensitive subject, <laughs> right? Well, because you hurt me. This hurt. That's why. So just because you forgive doesn't mean that the pain is going to immediately all of a sudden vanish. Now, by God's grace, sometimes he does lessen that, okay? But it doesn't mean the pain is gone. Forgiveness also does not equal reconciliation, all right? Forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. Forgiveness is a part. It's a step in the process of reconciliation, but it doesn't equal reconciliation, all right? So some people, in an abusive relationship— you can forgive and also stay out of harm's way. And you need to. Okay? You need to. Forgiveness doesn't mean, oh, well, now I've just, everything's back to normal. As if it was prior to the sin, prior to the offense. That's not, that is not correct. Forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. Forgiveness does not minimize the sinfulness of sin. Oh, well, if I forgive him, if I say I forgive you, well, then it's just going to minimize their sin. And they're going to feel like, oh, it's not really sin anymore. Oh, it's okay. I can go back and do it again. <laughs> no, no, no. Forgiveness doesn't minimize sin. In some ways, it maximizes sin because of the justice of God. Lastly, forgiveness is not a one-time event, but it's a journey. Okay? Sometimes there is immediate release of anxiety and pressure when you forgive someone. There's a freedom that comes with that. But when there is deep hurt, forgiveness is really a journey. It's a process that you go on, and it, it takes time. So don't feel guilty if you have offered forgiveness and you still stand by that, but you still wrestle. It's okay. Forgiveness is a journey. It's not just a one-time moment. So let me, let me then state what I mean when I say, what is genuine forgiveness? Here's a few things for us to consider. Okay? Forgiveness is to live with the painful consequences of someone else's sin. Remember, the verse says, as the Lord forgave you, so also you forgive. And you know what? The Lord bore our sins, our guilt, and our shame in his own body. You know what? When you choose to forgive someone, you still will deal and live with the consequences of that choice. 
Forgiveness is to no longer bring to mind the sin against another person. That's really threefold, right? When I say against another person, one is that you could, in your own mind, bring it up and judge them every time you see them. You see them at church. Oh, there's that person who... And that's how you view them. You judge them when you see them. I want you to know something. That's actually continuing to bring the sin up against them in your own mind. You can also bring up the sin against them to them. Yeah, you did this. It's kind of that exacting payment feel, right? You did this. You did that. You Remember? Remember? Okay, you don't bring up the wrong against the other person to the other person, but you also... You don't bring up the wrong against that person to other people. Yeah, do you hear about so-and-so? They did this to me. Oh, my word. Yeah, I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. <laughs> the jerk. Forgiveness says, I'm not going to bring up that wrong against other people. Now, if someone's harming people and someone needs to be warned, warn them. Okay? Warn them. Oh, I can't bring it up against other people. No, no, no. If someone's harming people and other people are in danger, warn them. Forgiveness is actually doing good to those that hurt you. This is probably, this is to me is, is the hardest one. Whew. All right. I'm actually going to, I'm going to deal with the hurt, the painful consequences of sin. I'm not going to constantly bring this to mind against you. I'm not going to repay you. I skipped that one, didn't I? Forgiveness is not to repay another person for their sins, okay? Or make them pay. You see that there's kind of a two-sidedness to that vengeance idea. One is, I'm going to pay you back, and the other one is, I'm going to make you pay me. (laughs) Okay? They're both there. But forgiveness does good rather than evil. And then forgiveness looks towards reconciliation where possible. Okay? Where possible, forgiveness looks and longs for reconciliation. Isn't that what God does for us? He longs for none to perish, but that all would come to repentance. He wants that, and he's made the offer of forgiveness. And so, as much as is in within, within you, seek to live peaceably with all men. Do good to everyone, especially to the household of saints. We need to be doing good towards others. So, genuine forgiveness has these characteristics. So the actions of forgiveness are bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Now, real quickly, I just want you to see where I'm tying this into the unity of the church. All throughout this passage, we, we find hints at unity. Verse 15 says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. We are one body. We are t- supposed to be together in unity. Right before Paul in Ephesians says the same type of idea as far as forgiving one another, he talks about the unity and the importance of unity within the church. Unity is a big deal. And if forgiveness is not something that all of us regularly practice, this church will not experience unity. It'll, it'll experience subtle creep in of bitterness, wrath, anger, resentment, jealousies. Those things creep in when forgiveness is not plentiful. So we need to bear with one another and we need to forgive one another. Thirdly, motivation 
to forgive is not rooted in self-focused benefits, but a new identity in Christ. It was very interesting. I uh, listened to a couple different books on forgiveness uh, while thinking through this and preparing through this. And it was interesting to know all the psychological and physiological benefits of forgiveness. There's a lot. You know, they associate like a whole bunch of things with unforgiveness from, from depression to weight gain to heart disease to diabetes. I mean, there's so many things that are all linked to this idea of holding in hurt and allowing it to fester. It causes anxiety. It causes deep sadness. It causes lots of physiological pain. But it's interesting to me that Paul, when he's emphasizing our desperate need to forgive other people, he doesn't say because it's really good for you and it's really healthy. It is. (laughs) But that's not why, why he says it. Go back with me to verse 12. Look at this. This is so awesome. Some of you were like, why did you, why did you skip that? Well, here's why, because I want to go back to it now. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Did you catch that? Do you know what forms the motivation for you to forgive people? It's not a self-focused benefits, which there are plenty of benefits to forgiveness, but rather it's about your new identity in Jesus Christ. It's who you are in him as a forgiven person yourself. You have a new identity. What is this identity? Well, look what he says. Put on then as God's chosen ones. You know what? God loves the doctrine of election, and so should you. Put on as God's chosen ones. He chose you. He selected you. He put his love on you. God loves me? Yes, he does. God has chosen you. He has called you out to be his own possession. This whole verse kind of harkens us back to the Old Testament where God told the Israelites, I chose you, not because you were more numerous than the other people. It's not because you were like some good people. I chose you in order that I might magnify myself through you. So actually God's choosing of you isn't some like selfish way of me saying, I'm awesome. God loves me. It's actually, whew, God saw me and he thought, wow, I can actually demonstrate myself through that person's brokenness, weakness. And he chose me. Wow. You're a a chosen one of God. And on top of that, it says this, holy and beloved. So not only does he choose you, he actually chooses you in order to set you apart and separate you and make you holy, make you a set-apart one, a transformed one. You remember two weeks ago, we talked about the cycle of insecurity versus the cycle of security. When you are forgiven, there's transformation that begins to take place in your heart and you are changed. Holy and beloved. God loves you. God loves you. I remember talking to a little boy. I think he was in seventh grade. And he was weeping, talking to me about struggles he had with his own sin. And for whatever reason, 
He had, he had all sorts of reasons behind why, why maybe he should be struggling with sin because of the circumstances of his life. And I remember looking at him and saying, do you know that God loves you? And I will never forget this. Tears flowing down his face, he looks up at me and says, he does? He does? Yes. God loves you. And if he loves you so deeply that he would send Jesus to die for you, to forgive you of all your trespasses, from that foundation of love, he says, forgive others. Forgive others. We forgive not because it's beneficial to us, though it is. We actually forgive because of our new identity in Jesus Christ. You are a chosen, holy, and beloved child of God. Kind of brings me to the very end here. And this is more implicit in the text than explicit, but it is taught explicitly in Scripture. The danger of not forgiving is that we will not be forgiven. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean by this? Well, if you look at a text like this, you say, I can't do that. You have no idea what has been done to me, and I I will never forgive. I will not forgive that person for the wrong they've done to me. Then it actually... It actually should cause you to question, am I chosen, holy, and beloved? In other words, have I received the forgiveness God offers me? And explicitly mentioned in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells an entire story for this sole point. It's a story of the unforgiving servant who owes his master so much money he could never repay. Years and years, lifetimes, in fact, of wages. He would never be able to pay it back if he worked every day of his life for three or four lifetimes. And he's pulled in front of his master and said, pay. And he says, I can't. Have mercy on me. I'll pay you everything. And the master says, or the Bible says, the master looks at him and has compassion and forgives him all of his debt unbelievable amount of debt and he's forgiven. He leaves that place forgiven of all of his debt and he goes and he finds one who owes him a small amount of money in comparison. Minuscule in comparison to what he owed. He grabs him by the throat. Says, you will pay me everything. Have mercy. I'll pay you everything. And he throws him into debtor's prison and says, yeah, you will pay me everything with your life. And the master hears this and he calls that servant to him and he says, you, and he identifies him, you wicked servant. I forgave you so much and you couldn't forgive a little? Therefore, you are not forgiven. And he takes him and he throws him into the dungeon to actually 
work for the rest of his life to try and pay off the debt. And the point Jesus makes at the end is this. So will God do to you if you do not forgive others from your heart. You see, there is a heart of forgiveness. And it's a heart that's been transformed by the beauties of Jesus Christ. It's a heart that's received the forgiveness from God and is a new creation and now puts on compassion, puts on kindness, it puts on humility, puts on meekness, puts on patience. It bears long with people and it forgives them. Have you been forgiven? Have you received the gracious offer of forgiveness that God wants to give you? If you've never received God's forgiveness, you can today. God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can be forgiven today. You can accept God's offer as forgiveness. It takes humility. It takes humbling. It takes repentance, turning from sin. But you can receive that by faith today. And then brothers and sisters, if you have so been forgiven, then let's also, by God's grace, enabled by his power, enabled by his choosing, sanctifying us, and loving us, let's forgive others, as God also has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, we need your help to put this into practice on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. With man, it is impossible, but with you, all things are possible. Lord, it may be that there are some here struggling today with whether or not they have been forgiven themselves. Would you, in your kindness, reach out and rescue them? Would you save them? Lord, it may be that there are some here today who they know that they have been redeemed. They know they have been forgiven and yet they're just wrestling and they're just struggling with offering the forgiveness to other people. Would you help them to put on these character traits of the new man in Christ that they would be able to bear with and forgive one another? I pray that our whole body would be a loving, united church where forgiveness flows regularly so that we can maintain a sweet fellowship that brings glory to you and shows to others the beautiful forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen. Thank you so much. If you have any questions, if you are here today and you say, I need this forgiveness, please come up. I'll be up at the front here for just a few minutes. Please come up and see me. I'd love to talk with you and share with you how you can be forgiven. But let's go out today and let's be forgiving people who demonstrate and showcase the love of God. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.